Welcome to Meaning What. I'm your host, Mason Hirschnow. It's the Meaning What Movie Club. This month, we're talking about the 1991 Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze, Gary Busey classic, Point Break. Hey, Sean. Hey, Chris. Hello, hello. Hey, all. It's the Meaning What Movie Club for the month of July. America! As we close out our spate of themed months and slowly work our way out of that tyranny, we have one final loosely themed. This is the most loosely themed of the themed episodes this month. But from here on out, no more America on the podcast until next July. <laughs> Assuming we make it that far. <laughs> we won't mention it. We won't talk about it. I'm, I'm excited about this episode. This is a, a film, I wouldn't describe it as one of my favorites, but it is one that I really enjoyed when I was younger and enjoy just as much now, but maybe for some different reasons. Different reasons. This month we watched... The 1991 Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze classic, Point Break. We'll get into a synopsis about it in just a minute, but right off the bat, I am curious to hear, Sean and Chris, what did you think about this movie? It is as unique as it is cliched, and what what are our thoughts? It was two movies sewn together, as you've previously mentioned, talked about, and... Maybe I was reading too much into it, but I think I could tell that there was a feminine touch to this sort of action genre, and I wanted more homoeroticism. I, I was promised homoeroticism, and I wanted more of it. <laughs> I really enjoyed the film. I like literally finished it maybe an hour ago. And we really, really enjoyed it. Like kind of the, you know, it's a popcorn movie. And from the very get-go, like you could, or at least I could imagine what the producers, what kind of conversation they were having before making this movie. Like, what if we make a cop movie that's also an adrenaline junkie movie? What if there are these surfers that rob a bank? <laughs> it was one of those things where you, you can tell that they like came up with the idea on the like a bar napkin. Right. And then just said, fuck it, let's make it. Let's throw some money at this and, and see what happens. But that doesn't detract from the fact that it was, for what it is, a very, very good movie. And one that <laughs> I would probably watch again. Ooh, yes. With a drink and or a drug. As one should watch all of Keanu's early films, this this movie does feel very much like it was written through a process of all of the topics of the 1989-1990 blockbuster season put up on a dartboard and they just threw darts at it <laughs> and made a movie out of, of, of what they got there. It is a film that is begging to be parodied. It is a film that is written out of a jar of cliches, but it's also, in a lot of weird ways, it is genuine in what it's trying to do. I think it really believes in itself the entire time. Mm -hmm. But it does what it does well, and it it never really felt to me like it was trying to be anything that it wasn't. It was very aware of, of what exactly it was, which is a big blockbuster action movie, and it just leaned into that full bore. It's interesting, Sean, that you bring up the feminine aspect of it. It was directed by Catherine Bigelow. I think it was one of her first major films, if I'm not If mistaken. not her first, yeah. Yeah, which is notable. 1991, female director, you know. Of a blockbuster. Leading an all-star, almost entirely male cast. Mm-hmm. For a very otherwise testosterone-fueled you know, extravaganza. If if this had been directed by anybody else, it could have been much worse. Like our husband at the time, James Cameron. <laughs> who right. He who produced produce it. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So a quick synopsis, as much as this film can be summarized. <laughs> a young mid-20s Keanu Reeves 
plays Johnny Idaho. Oh, no. Utah. Plays Johnny Utah, the former all-star quarterback who messed up his knee and ended up in the FBI instead. He gets assigned to uh, bank robberies in Los Angeles. It seems like he asked for it. Not really sure why he's pursuing it. Gets assigned out there and is the young hotshot that gets stuck on a case that is unsolvable. He is paired up with a younger but just as strange Gary Busey, who is the sort of angry old cop who's been doing this for way too long. Um, they're working under John C. McGinley of Scrubs fame, mm-hmm. yes. uh, who is the angry, yelling, <laughs> vein in the forehead boss, boss who just wants to see them fail. And Keanu has a breakthrough that these bank robbers um, that the FBI has not been able to pin down who have been robbing banks, just stealing money out of the cash drawers while wearing rubber masks of former U.S. presidents. They're surfers. And so Mr. Johnny Utah goes undercover as a surfer, gets in deep, and discovers the heart of this bank robbing conspiracy and and inevitably gets in too deep and finds Mess. himself tied up in ways that he can't easily escape. Cliche after cliche after cliche. Yep. And this film starts as a... Cop procedural. The, yeah. the most cliched FBI police procedural you can imagine, right? Like, new kid, young punk, nobody likes him, here in L.A., trying to prove himself. Partnered with the old grumpy guy. The boss doesn't like him. Gary Busey, five days from retirement. One last oh my person. god, that was, I'm too oh old god. for this shit. <laughs> and he's young, dumb, and full of cum. Which <laughs> is that the first time that's ever been like? Is this is this the reference for that phrase? I need to know that. I think everyone in our generation that would be the reference for this phrase. I can't. I imagine that it would have had to have existed before this. I meant to look that up, but I didn't. But also if your boss called you that on your first day of work. Right. The, this movie, <laughs> the opening scene where where Johnny Utah arrives at the FBI office and John C. McGinley is dragging him around the office doing his John C. McGinley thing where he's just yelling at him and, and telling him, did you get sleep? Did you get a good breakfast? You don't drink coffee. I want everybody in perfect tip-top shape. Um, never mind that there are donuts in the office, which <laughs> Keanu Reeves picks up. And the dialogue, mostly out of McGinley's mouth, is just the purest example of 1990s misogynistic bullshit. Mm-hmm. It, you know, almost to the point that it it feels like it's being played for parody. Mm-hmm. It walks up to that line in a way that I felt like I I genuinely couldn't tell. Is this just a overwritten, overacted character, or is this just how the script was written? Because there are plenty of examples of that kind of dialogue in similar blockbuster films. Young, dumb, full of cum being a perfect example of that, which I think is one of the lines that ends that conversation. Yeah, I tried looking it up, and once again, uh, DuckDuckGo has led me to porn. (laughs) So... We are, but over oh, two on this. I know. What was the other phrase that we were betrayed by? Uh, what was it? It was gay something. Whatever. If you if you want to know what the internet was like pre Google in the early days of the Ask Jeeves style search engines, use DuckDuckGo to search anything with a moderately sexual or openly sexual connotation. <laughs> it was a lot like that. Gay spy movies. Gay spy movies. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. And we just yeah. got gay porn. <laughs> no, here's porn. <laughs> this is what you want, right? <laughs> uh, Those don't exist. <laughs> what else could you have possibly been looking for? <laughs> gay spy movies? <laughs> Those don't exist. <laughs> okay, yeah. As As hinted before we started recording, oh my God, is Keanu's acting in this first portion so bad by the first portion you mean all of it right Uh, i mean yes but especially in this first chunk where he like 
attempts to then when he's like has to be thoughtful and contort his face into something that's yeah where he has to thoughtful. Act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he has to be like, I know evidence and cop things. <laughs> theory, theory, theory. And you're like, oh no, oh no, oh, uh, this is not remotely convincing. Like when he and Gary Busey get into it after they, they find the car and he's like, you're going to have this case wrapped up in no time. It's 7.30. And then Keanu tries to get out of him like, Busey's theory. What do you think after spending 22 years? Like, get mad at me, please. That whole thing, I was just, it was yeah. nauseating. Which is then followed by, I believe, the late night scene of, of them in the FBI office where they have the breakthrough that it might be surfers and they both jump up on the desk and do the surfing pose. <laughs> yeah. And, Out of nowhere. And neither of the actors really seem like they are into it. Or no. can act in that moment, and it's it's just the most awkward attempt. At I don't even know what they're going for. So, all right, Catherine Bigelow, you're the director. You know best. <laughs> you know what you're doing. Like that schmucky '90s thing where we have to like be a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, meta. But like that that thing never comes up again. So that just makes that one moment all the more bizarre. Right. And and this is Keanu Reeves in between the first Bill and Ted, and I don't I don't want to say that Keanu Reeves ever really did serious movies, but moving into the Keanu Reeves actor that that we know, right? This mm-hmm. is 1991. Leading man. He did the yeah. yeah. He did the he did My Own Private Idaho the same year, I believe. Speed comes out two years later. I think Dracula. I think Bram Stoker's Dracula oh, came no. out. In 91 as well, or 92. Oh, man. Same thing. Same Keanu Reeves, but with a half-assed attempt at a British accent. So it's it's very much a Keanu of the era. And it is... This film is worth watching only to ponder the question of how does Keanu Reeves have a career? And how does Keanu Reeves <laughs> have the career that he has? Because he excels when he can be... Was he Bill or Ted? Ted Theodore Logan. That's right. He excels when he can be Ted, right? When he Mm -hmm. can do the, like, stoner, just totally out of it. And he excels in the first Matrix movie because he can spend the entire time either asking questions or shooting guns. And those are his two places (laughs) where he really shines. But, you know, this this is a perfect example of of a young, early Keanu Reeves being asked to act in any real way. And just ham-fisting it. Mm-hmm. Every single line. Surrounded by genuinely... Excellent actors. Excellent actors, who many of whom are, are doing pretty good performances. Mm-hmm. And also Gary Busey. I, I thought Busey did pretty good in this. Like, for what his character was, as the credits were rolling at the beginning, Trino was like, oh, Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, by the time we were, like, 40 minutes into it, oh... I like him in this. Yeah. This is kind of him though, right? Right. Unhinged older man. Mm-hmm. He's also not on screen as much as I remembered him being. He Mm-mm. isn't really in the movie that much. And most yeah. of the time that he is, he's sitting in a car <laughs> watching from a distance through binoculars. Yeah. So <laughs> other folks in the film though, Lori Petty, who I don't know her from very many other roles, but she, nope. she plays the the love interest, the sort of focal point in the pseudo love triangle, and also this sort of semi mentor figure to Keanu Reeves' Utah. She is stellar. I oh. just just a, a really fantastic, tough around the edges, pretty well developed female character, female surfer character. You know, who's mm-hmm. just with shades. Yeah, yeah heavily layered and and is just in the situation just because of that's where our life is we also of course have uh patrick swayze as the um antagonist in one of the roles that reminds me how great patrick swayze actually was just the stellar problematic in all the right ways for the character white messiah surfer 
anti-establishment kind of dude. Mm-hmm. And then we have Anthony Kiedis of uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, that really threw me off. Which one was he? He's one of the white nationalists. He's the guy who got shot in the foot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Mm. Oh, Whenever we'll the it. four of them make a circle around Keanu Reeves, like he's the second one the camera pans to. He's the yeah. one with the worst haircut. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. And that is my favorite piece of trivia about this film is that apparently Anthony Kiedis would not show up to rehearsal particularly to any of the stunt rehearsals. And the stunt coordinators were so offended by this and so offended by his, his absolute, his whole attitude and his absolute refusal to take anything seriously that they rewrote his character so that he didn't get to die on screen. He gets shot in the foot Foot. and is drug off presumably to prison. (laughs) So let that be a lesson to you. If you are going to collaborate in any way with in any artistic endeavor where you are not in charge, show up to fucking work. Yeah. Because if if you don't, you could end up just being shot in the foot and carted off and have a bad haircut. <laughs> yeah. Also stunt work. Hello. Don't die. Learn how to not die. Yeah. But you would you'd think. Yeah. So hearing that is funny because as we're watching the film, Gina and I kept pausing it and like looking up trivia, you know, like there's all these like real big scenes of people doing great surfing tricks, but also skydiving, lots of skydiving. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit, that's really Patrick Swayze. Holy shit. That's really Keanu Reeves. Like what the fuck? Special effects wasn't that good then. And so you have like (laughs) in the movie, like it's Patrick Swayze doing all of his stunts, like refusing Mm -hmm. to use a stunt double for the surfing. And I think I was reading somewhere that many of the surfing scenes, Patrick Swayze refused to use a stunt double as he never had one for fight scenes or car chases. And Patrick Swayze is also, or was also a major enthusiast for skydiving. Like having done it like something like 50 plus times. Damn. Yeah. And was explicitly banned from skydiving while doing this film, from what I read. Oh, yeah? <laughs> the only way he agreed to do it was if he would get to skydive in the film and do that stunt. And they said, okay, but so that we can afford to insure you, you can't go skydiving and you can't do any of your <laughs> adrenaline junkie bullshit while we're <laughs> shooting this film. And apparently, after shooting... Whenever he found a chance, he and some other actors would sneak off and go skydiving anyway throughout the production. And then he got to do the big skydiving scene. (laughs) So, you know, the guy from Dirty Dancing turns out... Badass. Nobody puts Swayze in a corner. That's right. Hottest shit. Then you got Anthony (laughs) Kiedis, who's just not doing anything. He's just a piece of shit. I don't like his music anyway. Exactly. <laughs> Do we add them to the enemy list? Uh, not quite. No, just don't ever expect to find them on a Meaning What playlist on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Meaning What Pod. So as we alluded to earlier, this film kind of happens in two acts, right? The beginning is this hard-boiled wannabe police procedural, just chock full of cliches and the second half is this incredibly tense sort of character drama very tight quarters high velocity thriller the you know classic the point in the film that i think that i felt like things really turned is the scene where and where anthony Cadis gets his foot shot keanu reeves gets a bad lead leads the FBI to this house of white nationals who he is thinking are the ex-presidents, this gang that has been robbing banks. And the raid goes wrong in every way. They are heavily armed and put up a fight. A bunch of people die. And then it turns out that they aren't even the people that Keanu Reeves and Gary Busey are looking for. They are instead wrapped up in a drug smuggling ring that a Another group in the FBI was looking at, and a guy was deep undercover. And three months, 
three months. You think I like doing this? Communication, and maybe? It, it highlights how separate Keanu Reeves and Gary Busey are from the rest of, of the FBI. It mm-hmm. highlights how fresh Keanu Reeves' character is at all of this, right? Like, it's his first really big break, he yeah. thinks, and he makes, he blows it, which I really appreciated. You know, he is bad at his job in the way that you would be if you were 25 and doing what he was doing. Yeah, fresh out of Quantico with it being his second choice. (laughs) And after that point, things just sort of spiral. Mm -hmm. You know, Patrick Swayze, who is Bodhi, the the leader of the ex-presidents, finds out that Keanu Reeves is a FBI agent. Keanu's cover is blown. His surfer girlfriend finds out that he's been lying to her um, and then is kidnapped. And Reeves has to thread the needle and figure out how to bring the bad guys down and save the woman that he loves and survive. Mentioning that she finds out he is a special agent. Do you guys think that she found out or do you think that Bodhi tipped her off? Well, she found the... She found his badge, or at least his identification, but, like, in the scene, like, right before that. Right. You know, it's the ex-presidents, like, gathered around a fire, and they're like, oh, we're going to kill Flipping this. Flipping the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. And Bodhi's like, no, I know what to do. And then the very next scene, yeah. Tyler gets a hold of Johnny Utah's gun, shoots the pillow next to him. And then throws him his FBI identification materials and was like, you lying to me this whole time. And so that was one thing where I, I kind of like how the storytelling aspect of this, how there was some stuff that was kind of left up in the air. Like there wasn't too much handholding, but the story still allowed was still allowed to play out in a way that was satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of, ambiguity around that entire situation. I was I was pretty certain that Bodie had tipped Tyler off, right? They were former lovers. They were still kind of close. She ran with his group and they were all tangled up. And Bodie always, you know, he was always playing the long game. He was always a couple of steps ahead and was planning. But similarly, the scene where where Bodie has the realization of who Johnny Utah is I was surprised by how much ambiguity was was there, right? They have this, this mm-hmm. big chase scene mm-hmm. through Los Angeles and the getaway vehicle gets destroyed and uh, Johnny Utah gives chase on foot and, and they get down into the uh, L.A. River and Johnny Utah's knee gives out. He has an opportunity to get the shot and there's this moment where way off in the distance, you know, Bodhi, in his Ronald Reagan mask, is climbing a cyclone fence, and they make eye contact. And there's a there was a moment where I wasn't sure if he had made the connection or not. There's yeah. this incredibly tense, super loaded moment yeah. where they just zoom in on each other's eyes. And then you get one of the most iconic moments in cinema where Keanu Reeves rolls on his back and fires his service weapon repeatedly into the air in a residential area. <laughs> but just the same, it, it was this almost refreshing level of, of nuance, right? The filmmakers were trusting their audience enough to just not give us everything and let us have, let us be in the dark a little bit. You mm-hmm. know? Everybody's cards were on the table, but as is not often the case with these sorts of movies, you're not really sure who's going to make the next move and and what's really going to happen next. Yeah. And two things. I like, I almost like that the knee, the, the knee conveniently giving out several times. It's like uh, Johnny Utah's Achilles knee or whatever you want to call it. And, and, or, but it's more of the symbolism of um, him being seduced by Bodhi's, ideas by Bodhi's kind of general vibe and pseudo mysticism, which like when we really get into the thick of the second half and the adrenaline junkie and it all feels larger than life, 
and it like the movie takes on a more surreal tone for the better, I think. Mm-hmm. When it's <laughs> when we don't have to notice Johnny Utah trying to be, attempt to be a serious servant of the state and and or be serious when he can just be swept away by I guess I'm supposed to save the girl, but oh but 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 Bodie's so Cool. Yeah, and he plays along, Johnny Utah plays along with the role that he's in, the the server character, a lot longer than I feel like he should, right? Yeah. Like, like, there is no way that any right-minded person would think that their cover wasn't blown, but he just keeps going. (laughs) And how much of that is that he's young and, and dumb and full of enthusiasm and how much of it is that, you know, he has started to buy into, if not Bodhi's ideology, at least Bodhi is surfing. surfing, absolutely. But also Bodhi is this this bigger than life figure, right? This this almost mystical being. And it's all that apropos 90s like weird pseudo mysticism where we just kind of copy a vibe from another culture and it's a just, white guy who does yoga right i mean he's bodhi bodhisattva and you're just like you know you just kind of take the vibes of it and you kind of make it your own <laughs> thing and you know surfing dude and fighting the man bra bra i i didn't know anybody I don't think who robbed banks, but like I've, <laughs> I, I knew guys like Bodie, right? Like right. the skater surfer dude who was like anti-capitalist in all of the convenient ways. Right. And, but didn't, was never really deep with it, but knew how to talk about it in like in ways, ways. that felt big and felt, you know, like he was, like he was saying something and then you would stop and you'd think about it and it was like, no, you are, you're just a white guy who has a safety net and and you can travel the world because life has afforded you that ability. But in the moment you, you can kind of fall into this trance of like, Oh wow, this, this person is so enlightened and has seen so many things. He is a character. And then the reactions of the people around him were believable. And, and I think in part were believable because they were so over the top, right? Because they were so, playing so hard into that sort of cliche. And like Tyler is there kind of half-heartedly warning Johnny Utah, like, you know, he, he always does this thing. And then you just end up in these weird places surfing at midnight, you know? Hmm. <laughs> Maybe this guy I was formerly involved with is bad news, but what would I know? <laughs> yeah. Who else is she going to surf with? The white nationalists? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Those are your two options. Just possibly. So huh. it's interesting. But she's still surfing with them. <laughs> she's still doing it. Especially compared to some of the other films that we've watched recently that have like singular female characters, you know, that are, you know, like here's this one female character that's prominent throughout the film. And that one female character winds up being very two-dimensional in a lot of respects uh tyler is so much more complex i feel like her relationships with all the characters are much deeper than just like this is what her relationship is to this man and this is what her relationship is to this man and the way that she interacts with the world and all the people that are within that world i feel like trying to transcends what we've seen in other movies as well. And honestly, I forgot that this film was directed by a female director until we brought it up again. I saw her, I saw Catherine Bigelow's name in the intro credits, but it wasn't until afterwards that I started piecing all this stuff together. And I'm starting to see like the little touches, the feminine touches that add like a nice layer of complexity to the film that may not be there or maybe wouldn't have been there had this been directed by the same dude that did Transformers, Michael Bay. Is that the guy? That is the yes. guy. Okay, yeah. This was a Michael Bay film. Like, Tyler would have just been a plot device, you know? I, she wouldn't have taught him the surfing. No. And her tits would have been twice as large. Yeah. Yeah. And she would have also <laughs> fought people while naked. 
Right. Yeah. Kind of like the girls in the white nationalist house during the drug raid, mm-hmm. but they would also, but maybe because female director, like one of the girls who's naked is actually beating the shit out of FBI agents. Oh yeah, the girl who's in the shower comes yeah. out just, yeah, just wailing like on Johnny Utah. Utah. Like, yeah. damn. Fucks him up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Feminism. And even when Tyler ends up as the damsel in distress, it there was a level of disappointment in mostly in that her character wasn't in the film anymore, right? She had right. been removed for a genuine reason and then brought back in for a genuine reason and like the role that she was now playing was so reduced. But there was also this sort of relief that I had when I realized that the rest of the film was now just about, you know, it it was not about Johnny Utah trying to like save the girl and save the day. It was about Johnny Utah and Bodhi figuring out what was going on between them and Mm -hmm. like the, the unstoppable force meeting the immovable object and what was going to happen there. I don't think that we even really like Tyler's free things work out for her. I don't know that we ever get closure on nope. her and Johnny Utah. Do mm-hmm. we? Nope. No, we, we move on. <laughs> the, the romance there is important while it's happening, but she's not Sandra Bullock in speed where yeah. right. the end of the film is all about how they get together and, and have a, a uh, relationship fused in trauma, right? She, she, in the way that her kidnapping and release work out, she gets to, even though she is still this damsel in distress, and you know there is there is all of that, she still gets to continue being her own person and her own character. Yeah, and that was really refreshing because then it also allowed us to sort out the relationship that was really the core of the film, which mm-hmm. is Johnny Utah and Bodhi. Yeah. Yeah, and Chris, you mentioned it, but like, yeah, that very last third act bit um, or addendum to the film, huh? Hmm. Eh. Are you hmm? talking about where Australia? Australia. 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 Hunts them down to the hundred-year wave, and and that 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 whole interaction. They meet on the beach in the rain, and and produce one of my favorite gifts of all time, which is the rain-soaked, long-haired Keanu Reeves going, "Vaya con Dios." <laughs> yeah, it was, and I don't know if it's just because of my schema and like my expectations of what a film should be or how a film should end based on like the heteronormative world that I've grown up in. But like the meeting in the desert of Tyler and Johnny is like, cool. That's like where a movie, another movie would have ended. But the meeting in in Australia with uh, Bodie and Johnny, I felt like it just could have been done better. It was just weird to have that. Hey, I'm here and I'm going to arrest you. Oh, we're going to fight. Oh, now we're handcuffed. Oh, now we're not handcuffed. All right, I'll see you in the next life. You know, like it was just, it didn't, I felt like if they took those individual parts and like maybe like moved them around a little bit or something like that, it would have made more sense to some extent, but it felt like it was uh, way more melodramatic than it really needed to be. I felt like they could have done without the fight. Right, because it's supposed to be kind of this full circle, like, acknowledgement or an understanding of Bodhi's ideas and ideals. And it ends mm-hmm. up being he lets Bodhi go because he's foolish, but Slash John Utah really believes in it yeah. enough to, like, throw away his badge and quit the FBI, allegedly. Mm-hmm. I wonder if James Cameron was like, we need a fight here. Catherine, make a fight. <laughs> I'm your husband. <laughs> Yikes. You're on a beach in the rain, you throw down. Mm. It's one of those endings that I don't enjoy watching, but I really enjoy thinking about mm-hmm. because the symbol the, the symbolism of it, 
I think is really effective. And the things that it is that I feel like it's trying to communicate, I guess, line up with what I would be looking for in a film like this, Mm -hmm. which is that there aren't any clean endings in real life. And also that you can't build an unstoppable character and then put him in jail. Yeah. Like that is, that is inherently unsatisfying. The final scene is so clumsy and it goes on for way too long, but ultimately feels like a recognition of this and, and not just for the filmmakers in the audience, but for Johnny Utah himself, who is trying to finish his job. And in many ways, like this is his parallel with Bodhi. Like he has this thing that he has to do and he's going to do it and realizes that, you know, whether it is that he agrees with what Bodhi was doing, or if it's that he realizes that Bodhi needs this more than he will ever need anything, mm-hmm. or that he realizes that Bodhi's going to die anyway, because that's always what was going to happen to Bodhi, and what he's about to do, which is surf this impossible wave, is going to kill him, and there's no way that he gets out of this. It's not really a moment of um, of mercy, but it, it's like a recognition that good guys and bad guys don't exist and that there aren't any clean endings. Yeah. Like, I wonder if this was a book and it ended that way, if I would have felt more satisfied moving through it. Because it would probably be described better, at least. Yeah. (laughs) And they fought for 10 minutes and it was clumsy. Oh, there was sand and water everywhere. Oh, look, handcuffs. Wait. Nah, no, 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 no. I, I 100% understand and completely see that aspect of the ending and what was trying to be accomplished. But But it's so clumsily made. Yes. And I feel like it suffers from a lot of the same issues that the beginning did where these symbols and metaphors and all this deeper meaning is wrapped up in cliches of you know, like if you love something, then you'll let it free. And I'm going to throw my badge into the ocean with the reboot culture we have now. I would like to see this rebooted. It was, it was, it was what? 2015. But apparently that tells you everything you need to know about the reboot that you didn't even know it happened because Uh, nobody watched it. Okay. It was a American German Chinese production. Mm-hmm. The names you don't realize. And the Wikipedia quoted reviews said it took out all the goofiness and made it overly serious and joyless. Okay. Johnny Utah was n- not a former football player, but a, a, a adrenaline junkie. So that's lame. <laughs> a former adrenaline junkie that blew out his knee in the big game <laughs> <laughs> or something. And Bodhi was the dark-haired one, and Johnny Utah was the blonde. So, How edgy of them. It's a whole different movie. That's a really good point, because this movie, I feel like, really shines when it gets out of its own way. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of, I don't want to say quiet moments, because they're not all quiet, but there are a lot of moments where they just let it happen. You know, I, I think that the, the raid... Um, on the white nationalist house is pretty effective in its storytelling and what it's trying to accomplish and how it shows so many little vignettes in that span of time. It's very claustrophobic Mm -hmm. and, and it ends ridiculously, you know, with Johnny Utah trying to keep his face out of a lawnmower, but (laughs) while they're in the house and while the, the raid is happening, you have that full tension and it just, it, it comes apart and turns into this landslide of of just shit in mm-hmm. genuinely intense and riveting way. Yeah, you know, striking the some of the same things that like where we talked about in the spy movies, what the Bourne movies do for me. Yeah, the way that Paul Greengrass shot and edited fight scenes, and and it felt like you were in the middle of it to the point that you wanted to get out because it was so claustrophobic and it was so uncomfortable and it was so terrifying there are moments in this in this film that accomplish the same things yeah the chase scene is something i was thinking of yeah when describing that like the way it was edited and the way it was shot going through all the masterful and stuff yeah really really good especially for the time 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All these it's almost like these practical effects are really good. Maybe they're yeah. better than like doing them on a green screen somewhere, maybe, if you know. Also but also I wonder if they're they're kind of like safety rules. They're like, uh, yeah, yeah, don't die. Okay. Okay, go. It was it was the nineties. We didn't know that people could die in car accidents yet. <laughs> <laughs> and it was almost like narratively the action scenes like had all like the subtext worked in the action right. scenes partially because the good the better filmmaking was not impeding <laughs> any, the subtext and meaning so it was maybe if this if this movie was just really tightly 80 minutes of slightly homoerotic action scenes perfect movie right like if you could take the best parts of this film and put it into like the speed formula where the whole movie is the car chase, right? Mm-hmm. If it was something like that, I I agree. I think it would work a lot better. And part of that too is because when you have a leading man who can't act, like, you know, it this film really highlights what Keanu Reeves is good at, which is that like bang, bang. physical, intense, terrible moments of violence. And communicating, like, a weird sort of humanity in those moments, too. Like, he's doing things that I will never be able to do athletically, right? That my body is not capable of. And certainly won't be capable of at 50, like he's doing now. But it 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 still all feels very physical and and very much like there are stakes when when Mm -hmm. he does it. Because they're just, just in the way that he does it. But my God... The man cannot act, and he cannot, and especially now, and he he cannot read these lines, and so when the script is already tripping over itself, and then you throw in Keanu Reeves' delivery, (laughs) you know, the kitchen catches fire. His face doesn't seem to, like, move in ways that indicate expressiveness. He's, like, yelling at, at Gary Busey, but his face is so entirely placid. Uh, Which is what makes him perfect for John Wick. Right. right. Just and he here to kill. by moving his entire head. His, <laughs> his face doesn't move. It's, it's like a it's dog. The, you know, just like, yeah. Hmm? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very similar. Which is also hmm. why it works when he has long hair, right? Because then you get that <laughs> sort of telegraphing, right? He, like I said, he's a physical actor. <laughs> There's no nuance with Keanu Reeves. Just don't ask him to act with his face. Not like that's approximately the most important part of, you know, a movie star's acting body. Optional. But I will say, and anybody who knows me knows that I have a particular love for Keanu Reeves, especially in this early era. Because, not because I enjoy his acting. I certainly do not. But I find him fascinating, and I find him an incredible example of the idea that the Hollywood formula isn't perfect, Mm -hmm. and the outliers are the things that really work, right? Mm -hmm. And and I've said it before, I will say it a million times, the the man is not an actor and should never have had an acting career, and that's why his acting career is incredible. Because he falls into these roles where even when the whole thing doesn't work, there's something in it that he's doing that really works, right? Whether it's that he's asking questions or that he's doing the big gun violence or whatever. There there are things that work. And then on top of that, even though he reads his, his lines like some sort of doll with a pull string box, there's a genuine charm to him you almost, that I almost can't put my finger on, right? Mm-hmm. Like... Mm-hmm. You keep watching, like he's just—he's just a charming dude, and ends up being this very fascinating aspect on these films that are sometimes really great and more often than not really terrible, you know. But you keep watching because Keanu Reeves is weirdly hypnotizing. Yeah, makes me want to rewatch the Lake House. Like it's been ages since I've seen it, but it's like—is that? As good as I remember it, is he as good as I remember him being? <laughs> probably not. No, probably not. Don't squint. Don't look too close. 
the first Matrix movie isn't even aging very well. Oh no! I watched it again a couple of years ago, and while I thoroughly enjoyed it, and you know, was able to put myself in the place where it was like, remember when this was cutting edge? It was still kind of like mm, a little rough. <laughs> the script is a little rough, and that's the good one, right? Out of the three, Gen- generally considered. We'll see when the fourth one comes out. Uh, uh, um, don't hope too much. Okay. And Keanu and Patrick like have a thing, and I can't tell if it's just Keanu just surfing on his general charm, or it's Patrick Swayze is so charismatic and so like able to pull everyone in that he even manages to in, in, invariably pull Keanu in, and you believe it all because charisma. Yeah. Yeah. This is an excellent, this film is an excellent argument for just how absolutely charming Patrick Swayze was, especially at, at his height. And I forget, I forget it. And hot. And I, I forget all of that, right? Like I think of, I think of Patrick Swayze as ghost and <laughs> the creepy uh was he a teacher no he was a he was a self-help coach in Donnie Darko yeah right? oh yeah and and dirty dancing right you know and and so this 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 role in a lot of ways goes against my personal ingrained knowledge of who and what Patrick Swayze was in ways that I find deeply satisfying I agree yeah, I know that Swayze was known a lot for Dirty Dancing and Ghost, but he had such a wide range. When I think of Swayze, I think of the Chippendale skit from SNL, yep. which is like hands down, like one of the most memorable things. And I know he wasn't the comedic relief in that, but still he he made it possible. Right. But then also... uh to Wong Fu. Yes. He is so great in that, you know, for all He's of its so problems. Good. Well, I, 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 we I, need to watch that one. We should. That is. A- I, I, it's, it's one of those films that I would, I would, could watch it once a month. Like it's so good. Yeah. All right. We're going to watch it soon. Listeners. You'll probably hear about this soon. Coming back to Patrick Swayze. <laughs> yeah. But he's he's just so perfectly cast in this role, mm-hmm. and he has the he has the perfect you know seawater soaked long hair and the you know perfect like older expert charm you know like yeah. like the the guy that all of these young kids are just following around because he's always been there and and who just seems so worldly um, and is so charming you know he. It is it is such a perfect role for him and he plays it so perfectly. I agree. Is one of the members of the ex-presidents his younger brother? Because one of them was shot in the bank. Yes, and then he was very upset. Yeah, he was very upset. And Trina caught Bodie telling telling his partner as he was, you know, breathing his last breaths calling him brother, little brother. And I didn't know if it was like literally his little brother or if it was just like brother, you know, I, I, I want to go with that. Cause, okay. Cause surfers, bruh, bruh. Yeah, bruh. <laughs> Don't die on me, bruh. <laughs> Stay with me, bruh. <laughs> we'll ride the waves again, bruh. I mean, I'm, you know, it, it's, it's kind of great. Cause it doesn't matter mm-hmm. either. Yeah. Right? Like, like they are, they are a brotherhood in a mm-hmm. way, which <laughs> bank is, robbers are. I didn't, I didn't really think about this until now, but like this, this group of white nationalists are played up the, this little gang and they, they pick a fight with Johnny Utah and there's all of that. But the members that make up the ex-presidents are with the exception of the white nationalism, we assume very much in parallel it's a group mm-hmm. of four white men committing crimes and who are who have made this little brotherhood around surfing and they just occupy a different beach and it they are placed so closely together that you know like when you step back it it becomes very difficult 
like looking back, I get confused who was in which group. Mm-hmm. And they don't the they don't really have I think the white nationalists have a little bit um more ridiculous names. Yes. Tone and Bunker and Warchild. Yeah. But and the terrible haircuts and braids. And the terrible haircuts. But even still, like I I, right. I mix their faces up and, and it 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 blurs this line between like who is actually the good guy and the bad guy. You know, I don't you don't have all of the visual tells and, yeah. and all of that. Yeah. That's something and, I didn't yeah. really consider. Um and that's another thing that the movie explores a lot is and we touched on a little bit earlier, is that you know, nobody is completely bad and no one's completely good. Everybody has their faults and everybody has their virtues. And the movie does a really great job of giving equal play to both of these, you know, with a couple of exceptions, like the white nationalists, but for all the like main protagonists and antagonists, like the people who actually matter in the film, they're like complete characters in that regard, which is really refreshing that you don't fall into tropes where, you know, once we figure out that, oh, Bodhi is a part of the ex-presidents, then all of a sudden every instance that he's in the film following that is just like showing him being a bad guy, showing him being a bad guy, showing him being a bad guy. Yeah. They don't even really keep that under wraps for very long. Uh You can tell, or you have a suspicion of who is who. Like, like I've, those identities are spoiled for the audience, I think, before they're even spoiled for, for Johnny. And, and mm-hmm. the fact that they continue to play, even in spite of that, continue to play up Bodhi as this complex character is, is really kind of admirable. Yeah. Because you don't get that, mm-hmm. even in the golden age of television. You know? Yeah. We love a purely bad guy. The closest thing that we have to a purely bad guy outside of the white nationalists is probably... John C. McGinley's character. Yeah, and he's just trying to do his job. He's just angry about it. (laughs) Yeah. He's just Dr. Cox with a badge. (laughs) That's his name. I couldn't remember his name. But he's not the guy from Office Space. No. (laughs) Easy to mix up. He's in that film. I always always forget he's... is in the end of Seven. He plays a cop at the end of Seven. He is the cop with the sniper rifle in the helicopter. Oh. Yeah. Mm. I really like him. Fun little, fun little trivia. Yeah. yeah. He's a great great character actor. Yeah. Real nice guy, too. I, I, I haven't met him personally, nice but guy. yeah, he's oh. like, he does a lot of charity work and stuff. Um, I think oh. he has a kid with Down syndrome, and so he does a lot with uh, charities around that and stuff like that. I've seen him in interviews and stuff. I've, I've always just like, you know, you just get good vibes from people. Who you haven't met in person. Yeah. Yeah. Keanu Reeves. Yep. Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Patrick Swayze was supposed to be a pretty nice guy too, right? Yeah. Yeah. This was a movie of nice, nice people. And Gary Busey. <laughs> and Anthony Kiedis. Yeah. <laughs> Except, fuck Anthony Kiedis, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Except him. Fuck Anthony Kiedis' haircut in this film. Yeah, I know. Oh, if that was not a hate crime, <laughs> I don't know what was. <laughs> no, I think it was. I think that... Hate crime I think career that assassination. They <laughs> said, "Fuck you too." <laughs> I said it earlier. I think that Gary Busey did really, really well in this film. I feel as though he served really great as a as a mentor and as somebody who kept the plot moving forward in ways that Johnny Utah couldn't. Yeah. yeah a lot of the things that made me kind of laugh out loud in the film, and there weren't that many, but whenever he goes to confront Johnny after the altercation on the beach and he meets Johnny and Bodie coming up the stairs and he just like quick on his feet is just like, Hey, some kids stole my stereo. Have you seen them? You know, or like whenever he's trying to find Scooby before the raid, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. hey, it's interesting because you have Gary Busey, who's not by any stretch a, I wouldn't call him a good actor, but <laughs> no, he's in all, he's in a lot of stuff, but at the same time, like he's like, he's playing this role. And then within this role, he's having to act and pretend to do something. And like, whenever he is, whenever he is playing his character, pretending to do something else, he does it really well. It's just like, could you just not do this all the time? 
Right. Yeah. It feels improvised and loose and like yeah. lived in. Yeah. It 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 almost feels like they just like turn the let camera. him out of his trailer and let him wander on the set and just do stuff. Yep. And They're I like, mean that genuinely. Like he he feels like he is just moving through the scene and and do even the scene right before the car chase where he tells Johnny to go get two fucking okay. ball sandwiches. <laughs> yes. It's so dumb and it is so perfect clumsy as as like a story point moment and it like it works out and it, and it it's important but like Busey in that moment and his genuine like complete ignorance to the entire world around yeah, him because he two wants two sandwiches not one two meatball two. sandwiches <laughs> and a Utah is just two so sandwiches good. <laughs> it tells him like three or four times. Yeah, and then he gets back and he's like, oh shit, you should have got three. <laughs> <laughs> also, the fastest meatball sandwiches on the planet. Oh, Jenny yeah. Utah hands her the cash, she hands him two meatball sandwiches. And this is like at a point where they know how long it takes for them to rob a bank, which is like under 90 seconds. Right. And they show up before he even hands her the cash before Johnny even hands her the cash. And so it's like, literally it's like, Oh yeah, I saw you coming up. Yeah. Gary Busey's here. I had these already wrapped up and ready for you. You know? Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Johnny even looks back over his shoulder and looks at the car and doesn't register it. Yeah. A wonderful moment of failed police work. Mm -hmm. How accurate though. You know, which adds an interesting tension to the fact that, Johnny Utah's cover gets blown. It's it is blown purely because he and Gary Busey fucked up. Yep. And weren't <laughs> doing their job and weren't paying attention. And then simultaneously, this is also when we start to see Bodie as President Reagan unravel a bit. Right. You know, yeah. it's like this is when he starts breaking a lot of his own rules where he starts to take risks that the other people in the ex-president start to be like, dude, are you okay? Like whenever he lights the, uh, the, uh, it's not a spigot, but the thing that dispenses the gas, gas, I mean, it's a gas pump, but yeah. Like gas main. Oh, well, no, the, uh, yeah, the gas pump. Yeah. Yeah. The gas pump. Yeah. The gas station and is torching the getaway car. Yeah. Yeah. So like as he is lighting the gas pump on fire and just spraying down their ghetto, their previous getaway vehicle. Everybody else in the in the car is just giving him this look of what the fuck, dude, come on. Meanwhile, he's just sitting there like torching something, which also provides ample opportunity for Johnny Utah to come in and almost save the day. Right. And so it's interesting that they're both finding the catalyst of their downfalls around the same time. Mm-hmm. And they're both, it shows how intertwined their characters are as well. Right, right. Their downfall is because of themselves and because of each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they just sort of tumble alongside each other. Before we end this, I want to talk about those president masks. Because it feels <laughs> like there has to be some symbolism there. I think maybe I just really want there to be. So we have Ronald Reagan, who is, who's Bodie. We have uh, Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. We have Jimmy Carter. Who was the fourth ex-president? Uh, LBJ. Okay. I feel like, because we get, obviously Reagan is is the ringleader, is this, on this libertarian streak that ultimately is hollow and harmful and destructive mm-hmm. um, and destroys everything that he cares about and everything around him, leading to the downfall of everything that he built. Ronald Reagan. Um Yay! Richard Nixon is kind of a well, kind of a show off throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Ends up being shot um, and ends up leaving early. Um, <laughs> and I don't feel like we hear very much out of Jimmy Carter or LBJ. But Mm-mm. I don't know. I don't have I don't have a string on this so much as I I, I just really want there to be. And I'm really curious how much thought actually went into that, or if it was just like. No, this would be fun. Well, yeah. at this time, the, were those the last four ex-presidents? Uh, yeah, because uh, George H.W. Bush would have been president. Yeah. 
So mm. maybe it's just like, hey, here's the last four presidents. Boom, done. Right. Which isn't as fun. No, it's not. It's not. But that's part of the problem of the movie where it's like, sometimes it feels like it's it's trying to bring out more meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then things happen and then the script happens and you go, oh, I guess not. <laughs> Can't tell anymore. Yeah. But, but it leaves open all of this room for more meaning. You know? yeah. yeah. It just never, it, it, it's maybe too much implication, not enough execution. Right. You know, do that, you know, English teacher thing of, of putting all of this meaning on it and, and, um, are you creating new meanings in the book or were they actually there or does any of it actually matter? <laughs> oh. So is it safe to say that we, uh, we recommend this film? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Have fun. Make sure you're having fun while you're watching it. Yeah. Go into it knowing what you're getting into. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they will if they listen to this. They'll know everything. Obviously. Spoilers. <laughs> the previous uh, hour-ish. That that's as close as we get to a reigning endorsement, I guess. <laughs> watch it, just not sober. Yeah. <laughs> as with all things, watch it, just not sober. Our favorite category of movie club movie. It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually, did I stutter?